Thank you for joining us today. We'll be studying Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be discussing the mystery of the church age that has now been revealed to us. So if you'll open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 3, we'll begin our lesson. Okay, let's get started. Why don't we begin in prayer? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for this group and for this time and for this place for us to meet. I thank you for your word. I just ask that you remove any impediment, anything that we have on our mind that would keep us from really understanding what you would want us to learn today. Pour into us those things that you want us to learn and understand and then help us apply those things in our life to change us. As we continue our study of Ephesians, we're just so thankful for your grace. We know our salvation is by your grace alone, through our faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. It's a gift from you, and we have nothing to contribute to it. And we just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. And we just ask that we continue to better grasp and understand the position that we now have as sons of God, as, a, as your adopted sons, and that our inheritance is secure and that we now have the Holy Spirit living within us. So as we continue our study of Ephesians, just help us to better understand this position that we have and the power that we have of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I just ask you to speak through me this morning and speak through others as we have our discussion so that we can all learn from one another and really just be guided by the Holy Spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue our study of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 3 now. And just as a quick summary of what we studied in Ephesians chapter 2, we saw how we were just totally dead in our trespasses and sins. We see that in verse 1 of chapter 2 and verse 12. We can see that we were separated from God, totally separated because of our sin. And yet when we look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we can see it's by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone that provides us our salvation. It's truly a gift of God. And we see in verse 9, not as a result of any of our works. So there's nothing that we have to contribute to it other than our need for God's grace. And we see again in verse 10 that we have been saved and we've been saved for good works for God to actually work through us. So God is responsible for our good works, which he performs in and through us when we allow that to happen. We also saw in verse 22 that we're now built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to help us in our transformation and our sanctification to become more Christ-like and to reflect Christ to those that we encounter each and every day. Let's pick back up with chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. So let me go back and unpack this a bit. You can see that Paul acknowledges that he is a prisoner of Christ. Paul acknowledges that that is God's will. Paul didn't view himself as a prisoner of Rome. He viewed himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, meaning he was in the exact place that Christ wanted him to be in. 
Paul was a Jew imprisoned because of his ministry to the Gentiles, and he knew that he was doing God's will. And you further see that in verse 2 that it was by God's grace. God was working through Paul, and he wanted Paul to be the minister to the Gentiles. And he wanted that to be the focus of Paul's ministry. We also see that he mentions the stewardship of God's grace. And so he's referring to this period of time now that we're in. There's various stewardships that we see that God implements. His principles never change, but his methods do change. And so we're going to learn a little bit more about this mystery that's now being revealed to Paul and being revealed to us in the New Testament that was not clearly shown in the Old Testament. We're going to dive deeper into that as we continue our study. When you see the word mystery here, it's really meant to tell us a mystery is truth that was once hidden, and yet now it's revealed. And we're going to see exactly what that mystery is. Verse 4, And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Here it is, verse 6. Here comes the mystery. Verse 6, To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So this mystery, what Paul is saying, is that the Gentiles and Jews are one body in the church. This was not clear in the Old Testament. But Paul is saying that it's now been revealed that the Jews and the Gentiles are equal partners in the church. There's no longer this distinction. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. To tell you how different this would be, it's almost like saying there's no longer blacks and whites. There's no longer conservatives or or liberals. There's no longer Democrats or Republicans. Can you imagine how strange that would sound to the people who are hearing what Paul is saying? And yet that's the mystery that has now been revealed. There are several mysteries that are revealed to us in the Old Testament. This is just one of them. Certainly this one about the Jews and Gentiles being united as one body in the church, that's a new revelation that is more clear to us as we study the New Testament. Even the mystery that the Holy Spirit would indwell in each believer as a temple, just like we saw in verse 22 of chapter 2, just prior to this chapter. That was new. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and be around people, but we really didn't see the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling in believers as an automatic thing that happened as soon as you placed your faith in God. So this was something new. A couple of other things that were mysteries that have now been more clearly revealed to us in the New Testament is this whole church age and the church being the bride of Christ, as we studied in Ephesians 5. If you want to go look at that again, that's Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. Even the rapture was a new revelation to us, and we've discussed that before. The verse I'm thinking of is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 58. 
So there are Old Testament verses that you can look at now that the mystery has been revealed to us, but there are verses that indicate that the Gentiles would be saved. Let's just take a quick look at some of these. I'll try to go right to left as much as possible here. Flip back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis, Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant. And if you look at chapter 12, verse 3, this is where God is speaking. And it says, I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And here it is right here. And in you, meaning Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so now we can see that that's an indication that the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, would actually be blessed through Abraham's seed. Another place that we can take a look is there's several verses in Isaiah. Flip over to Isaiah, which since after Psalms, if you find Psalms and Proverbs, just keep going right a little ways and you'll find Isaiah. Let's first look in Isaiah chapter 2, and we'll just look at the first couple of verses here. Chapter 2, verse 1, the word which Isaiah saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. So it's not just the Jewish nation, but all the nations would stream to it. So that's some prophecy that the Gentiles would be saved. Go over to the right a little bit further, and we'll take a look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And it says, Then it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. So the nations include the Gentiles. It's not just the Jewish nation. In the root of Jesse, that is King David's father. It says that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his, referring to Jesus Christ, resting place will be glorious. And so this, again, is another prophecy that the Gentiles would be saved. Keep going to the right, and we'll take a look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. Lots of prophecy in Isaiah. Chapter 42, verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, meaning the Gentiles, to open blind eyes. So again, perhaps a prophecy that the Gentiles would be saved. And then keep going to the right, Isaiah chapter 60. So let me start in verse 1, chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So again, possibly when you see nations, that includes the Gentiles. So perhaps another prophecy that Gentiles would be saved. I've got just a couple of more I could go on and on, but let me show you a couple of more. Zechariah, so that's the second to the last book of the Old Testament. So when you get to the New Testament, keep going back to the left. Malachi is the last book, and then keep going to the left, you'll find Zechariah. Zechariah 2.11 says, And many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst, 
and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So another prophecy that the Gentiles would be saved. And finally, the last one I want to show you is Malachi. So just go to the right, the next book, Malachi 1.11. And it says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, another prophecy that the Gentiles would be saved. So it's in the Old Testament, but this idea that the Jews and Gentiles would be equal partners in the church, in this church age that we're in, was certainly a mystery. I just want to show you one more thing in the New Testament. If you'll keep going to the right, the next book, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 11. And it says, And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So there's this divine revelation that's taking place, and the Holy Spirit works to open our hearts and minds as Christians to understand these mysteries. So let me continue on. So this mystery that Paul is talking about is Jews and Gentiles as being equal partners in the church. Let me restate verse 6 again. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So God has joined the Jews and the Gentiles as equals in one new body called the church. The church is not a building. The church is us. While there's not perfect unity yet, it's amazing to me just to see how this has spread, the gospel has spread across every nation and every race on the face of the earth. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, remember when we see saints in the New Testament, it's referring to all believers. So Paul's saying he's the very least of all believers. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. So the Holy Spirit has revealed this mystery to Paul, this administration, this dispensation, this church period that we're in, has now been revealed to Paul. And we see in verse 10, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. So even the angels are watching and they're learning. This also makes clear that there are forces out there. There's angels. There's also some evil forces out there. And this is testimony to all the angels for the ages. There are cosmic implications in this church age that we're in. Verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And so we now have direct access to God. We don't have to, like the Old Testament faithful and the Old Testament saints, they had to go to a priest and offer a sacrifice, and the priest would then offer that sacrifice at the temple 
we can now go directly to God with boldness. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We don't have to pray to another saint. We don't have to pray to Mary. We don't have to go find a priest to intercede for us. We now can pray with boldness, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And Jesus told us when we pray, we should pray to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at any tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. So even tribulations that we go through, God can use those in a positive way. Paul is saying, even though I'm in prison, I'm not worried about it. Sure, is it tough? It's a tribulation. Yes, but I know this is God's will for my life. This is where he wants me. And he's working through me while I'm in prison. And so don't lose heart. God uses these tribulations for our benefit. Verse 14. And as I read these next several verses, I want you to hear how Paul now refers to each of the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, so everyone comes from the Father, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, So the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to strengthen us and to teach us. Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's with all the believers, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And so Paul's saying that this is his prayer, that Jews and Gentiles, that we would love each other, that we would come together in unity into the one body of Christ, and that the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ can indwell in our hearts through our faith. You see that in verse 17. And he's praying that we would all comprehend just the magnitude of the love that Christ has for us, that this love, it actually surpasses our ability to totally understand. But he's praying that we would be filled up with the fullness of God as we begin to understand and comprehend the fullness of the grace and love that God has for us. So let's close this out, uh, the last couple of verses. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so, in summary, Paul is telling us that the church is now the centerpiece of God's work in this age. That's what he's working through. He's also telling us that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and working with us to help us and help us bring unity in the church. 
And at the same time, he's telling us that we should be thankful to God, even in our tribulations, for all the love and the grace that he has bestowed upon us, and that he can even use our tribulations in a way to bring honor and glory to God. And if we can be thankful for those times of tribulation and just look to God and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what he's trying to teach us through those difficult times and through our trials and how we can use those difficult times in a way to bring him glory. It might be other non-believers are watching us as we go through our difficult times and them just seeing the peace we have because we know God is in control and that we trust God. That can bring glory to God. That can even result in someone asking us, wow, I know you're going through a tough time. Where do you find that peace? Which then opens the door for us to be able to share our story and talk about this abundant grace that God has bestowed upon us and how we're secure in our salvation and the eternal life that we're promised, the inheritance that we're promised through our faith in Jesus Christ and how that brings peace to us. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.